0: the Rethinking Leadership podcast. I'm Jude Jenison, founder of Leaders by Nature, and in this podcast I interview leaders on their experiences of leading change, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. I'm interested in exploring how we lead disruptive change in a way that has a positive benefit for employees, business, and society. In other words, how do we be more human and relational in our leadership and make a difference? This week's guest has some great tips on leading teams in a more collaborative and relational way. More on that in a moment, but if you'd like more information on leading teams through fast-paced change, you can download a report from my website at www.jude.team. Mary Gregory is a leadership consultant and coach and the author of the book Ego, Get Over Yourself and Lead. We discuss the emotional side of change and the need to include the people side of change as a priority. Mary unpicks the ego in leadership and in relationships in this podcast and we explore how it can be useful as well as how it gets in the way. We discuss the shadow side of leaders, the importance of self-awareness and making conscious choices in service of the team and organisation. Have a listen. Hi Mary, thanks for joining me today my absolute pleasure
1: it's lovely to be here thank you jude
0: can you tell us for the benefit of the listeners can you tell us who you are and what you do please
1: yes so I am a leadership coach and consultant and what that and, and also an author as well i must mention that but I, what I, that actually means is that I work with senior executives ceos di- managing directors directors and heads of um, in big organizations mainly but sometimes smaller businesses as well. And really what what I'm supporting my clients to do is to navigate challenging circumstances from a change perspective, um, supporting them to get people on board and take them with them and find solutions to difficult problems as well as they as they navigate it along the way. And what that entails, mostly, I'd say what what my angle is around that is around how they manage themselves in that process and how they manage their relationships around them as well. So I'm a great believer in leadership being a relational art. So you need to be able to build really positive relationships with people if you um, are going to be an effective leader. So that really is the main focus of, of, of my work and my coaching, I would say.
0: I love that that phrase, a relational art. Um, I really love that because I, I often talk about leadership is is in relationship, isn't it? It's hmm. because you're always leading someone or something or an organization or a team or or interacting with clients. We're leading our clients yes. and our suppliers and, and ourselves. So I love that relational art. I think that's a, a fabulous phrase. Um I just want to um look back over 2020, I mean, obviously, what, what you've just talked around is how people lead through change, um, and, and how they need to lead themselves and, and others in relationship. What are some of the things that you found during the course of the pandemic? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you've, like me, you must have come across so many MDs and leaders who've had to really think differently about the way they lead.
1: Yes. Well, I think think differently about how they lead, but also how they connect and relate to the people in their organization. So some of the things I've had to support clients with, I I can remember helping a CEO who had to speak to the whole of her organization, who at the time everyone was going on to furlough. They had to close. They they were a factory uh, manufacturing organization. The whole factory had to close. So she had her speech was at the time that they were closing the factory and uh, and it was then about um what painting a future how could she paint a future um beyond the current circumstances so helping her imagine what that future could be but also get the wording right so it connected with the people she was speaking to wasn't making false promises so wasn't painting it through pink. Uh, pink spectacle lenses it was being realistic but it was still being honest and motivational for people as well it was something that could resonate and engage with them so that's that's one thing was helping leaders keep creating that future even though the future is so so uncertain other elements that that I found I've had to support leaders with over this um, last year have been around how do they sensitively engage with people's reactions to um, the pandemic, so I've I've um, I don't just coach people in in the um, private sector in the corporate world, but I also coach people in the public sector as well. So, um, local authority leaders who have um, you know massive challenges they had to face um, as they went through this. So they had people on their team who were dealing with the morgues, for example um and didn't have enough space in the morgues because of the increased number of deaths and things things that you probably in everyday life you wouldn't even think about or imagine but they were having to lead their teams through having to deal with such challenges and such issues and how could they sensitively do that Mm. and then what they what, what, what what was noticed was how um reactive and responsive um, organizations in the public sector, I'm thinking about, became in terms of um, one leader noted that um, a change that would ordinarily have taken three to five years within two weeks. They managed it, which was moving from office based working to virtual working. So that was phenomenal. And and what many of the leaders in the same organization were, were, were reflecting on was how can we sustain our ability to manage change so efficiently and effectively? while still honoring the whole governance process so i think the challenge in the public sector is getting bogged down with bureaucracy and we have systems and processes in place to keep it all safe and and all all okay but how can we how can we learn from this crisis how to become more efficient still honor the governance that we need to 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 have but also uh, be able to make change happen more quickly and more effectively as well.
0: That's and and really then, fascinating that, because there's a really delicate balance there, isn't there, around um, how do you how do you increase the pace of change so that you can so that you can adopt things quicker, but also recognizing that logistically, we have done that during the pandemic, but there's also been an emotional impact of that. And and yes. we need to take that into account that when we instigate change, and I think we often forget the emotional side of change, yeah. but when we instigate change, the thing that often slows it down is the emotions and the resistance and the anxiety around the uncertainty that, that comes with yes. change. How how do you how do you handle that delicate balance? So yeah, I think that's a
1: really good question. And I think um, you know. It, it's the emotional side of change and the people side of change that will stop the change happening, actually. So it's so, so important to make sure people are engaged. And what causes resistance, of course, is fear. So people, you know, within organizations, they, the culture, I will say culture is just a collection of, of group habits that people have created. And often they can't see their habits, but their habits that are there and they cause things to be a certain way. But it keeps people in their comfort zone. Although the irony of your comfort zone is it's not always that comfortable, but it's because you know it and you're familiar with it, it becomes comfortable. So the idea of shifting and changing that thing that is familiar is frightening for people because, you know, as human beings, we tend to like what is familiar um or most of us do I, I i think i quite like things that are unfamiliar i'm, I'm a real curious soul i like to know what, what what would that be like if but um but yes but human beings generally you know we like the familiar so it is important to treat the people side of the change really to uh, up there at the top it has to be the priority you know, often we get focused on the on the logistics, on the processes, on the finances. But actually, if you haven't thought about the people and how you're going to engage the people, you're going to run into trouble really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it is about balancing. How do we engage people in this? How do we be sensitive to people's needs around this? Um, Whilst at the same time, we've got to make it happen quickly. Um, and it's it's about getting that pace Correct. Sometimes it might take longer, but it it might be better to take longer because you've then really got people on board with you versus trying to push it through really quickly and everyone's resisting it.
0: Yeah, and I think you know during during the pandemic, a lot of organisations have had you know myself included have had to push change through probably much quicker than they would normally have done. But there is an emotional fallout with that, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the the stats, the, the the mental health issues are on the rise that the emotional fallout of pushing that volume of change through and you know I know know myself sometimes some days I don't know which way is up I've I've spun around in so many different directions in response to what is needed by clients yes Um, and then you can start to lose all sense of of direction can't you and I think it's important to always keep coming back to that that balance and yes I I can I can see because we're on on video and the listeners will just be hearing, but I can see behind you that the, your book is on your bookshelf and you've written a book <laughs> called Ego, haven't you? Can you? Can you I have. Yes, I can. So my book is called Ego: Get Over
1: Yourself and Lead. And if I'm honest, you know, it's it, it it's it, the the title is kind of out there about ego, and the reason I called it Ego, and it's for my own personal journey as well, <laughs> is that you know often what stops us being our full self, what, what being our most effective self is our ego. Um, and, and, and I want to emphasize that my approach and what I talk about ego in the book is that um, ego is there to serve us. So we can't just suddenly, you know, you said sometimes hear people say, I just want to get rid of that part of myself. I'm like, no, no, that's part of yourself for a reason. You know, um, ego is there, it is part of ourselves I talk about it being, it's like our survival strategy. It's how we've learned to be in the world that has helped us survive our circumstances. So it's a really important part of ourselves. Mm. But as we grow and develop, um, and particularly if we're wanting to be a leader who makes a real difference in the world, um, our ego can hold us back. And it can hold us back in two different ways. One is that um, we become much, you know, we have an overinflated ego and it's all the big I am and you must do what I'm saying. I'm always the right person in the room. And that sort of thing is kind of the overinflated type of ego, which often gets the, the big press. So people talk about ego only in that way in the press often that, oh, he's got a massive ego and, oh, their ego is obviously taking over the whole room. Though so that's the way ego gets referred to. But I also refer to it as that small underinflated part of ourselves so the imposter in us that little voice that is holding us back and stopping us from taking action which which um you know as Lee in leadership terms, can can just make such a massive difference as to whether we're effective or not um and you know in organizational terms can make a difference in terms of whether we speak the truth or not you know i don't say anything here because it's going to my reputation's at stake or i'm going to lose my job or whatever but so so it's, it's talking about ego in that sense and what i look at in the book is um how um we understand ourselves better how can we take ourselves on and look at ourselves better and how our ego is impacting us but also how can we understand our relationships with others um, and the way we impact others and the games that we might get into in our relationships um and i also look at the things that potentially can trigger us because what happens with ego is it's often it's mostly unconscious to be honest if we're on a journey of self-awareness to build our self-awareness we will be more come more conscious of what our ego is and that means we'll have a choice around how we manage it sometimes more effectively than others but the thing about today's workplace is there are massive things that can trigger us and can you one give thing for
0: example yeah
1: so one thing i would say is there is such a focus with we're talking about fast paced change. There is such a focus on making change happen and it has to happen quickly and we have to get these results in quickly that that increases the amount of pressure that people experience. And so the attention is frequently 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 on the task and not on how we are going about delivering the task and how we are being so we're in the task we get we're just talking about the task we're just getting on with it things haven't happened as we expected it to happen we have a reaction our emotions get triggered our whole neurological system goes into overdrive and we end up our ego end up ends up taking over and we end up with it with communication that is inappropriate ineffective and the people that we're working around are impacted by that so today's workplace is so hectic so busy and you know the things that have been going on with the p- pandemic there are so many threats that that cause us to be triggered
0: into that fear e- ego fear response i would call it um, yeah and, and also you, I, I i'm guessing you see this as well but i see i work with a lot of teams who are a group of brilliant in- individuals but they have they have a silo way of working, and they have competing objectives. Um and I'm you know, I'm thinking a great example is the the finance director or the CFO and the HR director or the the chief people officer, the chief people officer wants to spend more money, you know, make the people happy with rewards and and all the all the HR systems behind them. Yes, but there's a cost associated with that. And if budgets are tight, there's always a delicate balance I mean I'm yes. guessing that that's where where you've got uh competing objectives oh completely um, sales the and marketing and delivery yeah. again always are competing aren't they
1: well the, the the thing is that um we take ourselves into work we're all human beings who have our own past we have our own history we take our shadows into work with us as well as our light <laughs> So, and that plays out in the politics in an organization and the dynamics. So there's loads of potential for different triggers where egos can be set off as it were. And I totally relate to what you say about siloing, Um, you know, the whole competitive nature that can take place within organizations. And really, you know, ego, getting over ego is about seeing the bigger picture, is about knowing that we're all here in common service of the same thing. And we need to work together to make that happen. Um,
0: and and in organisations... So sometimes the, you have to put our egos aside to be able to do that, don't we?
1: Yes, it's about knowing, Ah, oh, you know, I really want these resources for myself, but I, but I also recognise that, actually, I need to support my team colleague here too. And, and I've done a lot of work with um, exec boards and senior teams um, to help them recognise that, actually, that alignment is about, actually, if I'm on an aligned team, I will give anything I can give to make sure my colleagues are successful. And in supporting them to be successful, I will be successful. And that's the different viewpoint that is the kind of non-ego viewpoint, really.
0: There's a real humility around that, isn't there? Around acting in service of, of the whole, yes. rather than acting, acting in service of... of and, and, and often leaders aren't acting in service of self, they're acting in service of their team but in a silo yeah yeah and you mentioned you mentioned shadow i'm i'm familiar yes. with the shadow side in in leadership can for those who perhaps haven't heard that term before can you can you talk yeah. more about shadow side and how that influences leadership and the ego
1: yeah well historically it comes from carl Jung. so the work of carl Jung, who talks about the shadow side and I think when I'm referring to shadow, it is that part of ourselves that we probably feel ashamed about, that we probably might not even know about it. But it's that part of ourselves that we don't necessarily own either, because it might not be acceptable to us, you know. So to to um, I'm trying to think. So I'm trying to think of an example of my own shadow here that I'd be willing to talk about. So 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 um. This is a really hard question I've just posed for myself here, but um, so, well, so choose, uh,
0: choose another one, somebody that you've worked with that, without knowing. I think anything. I yeah, I think but I, th- I suppose I, I want to share my own because I think we've all got so we've all got
1: shadow. We can't live without a shadow because to have light, you look you look at the sun that creates light, it creates a shadow. So we all have it. It's part of how life is and, and what life is. like so. I'd say one of my part of my shadow is I'm a bit chaotic. So on the one hand, I'm quite creative. I can rise to any challenges i love change i embrace change and i'm and, and, and very comfortable with ambiguity the shadow of that is that um I can be a bit chaotic and, you know, I'm, I'm sat here and, and and you can probably just see the edges of my office beyond that is a bit chaotic. Yeah. And and my partner who is different to me, of course, comes in here and says, I don't know how you can work in, in your office sort of thing because there's piles of papers and things, but that's just part of my shadow. That's part of who I am. And you can get organisations, well, organisations have a shadow too. So um, you can go into an organisation and everything looks really beautiful and immaculate and, you know, people are turned out and dressed perfectly and you you feel like you're really being uh, treated by a very professional establishment. And the shadow might be that it's very cold. Um, People don't engage with the humane aspects of leadership or how to run an organisation. You may find a bullying culture can be a, can be a shadow of an organisation, how you do things. And the thing about shadow is it's tricky to talk about. It's tricky to open people up to say this is what's going on around here. And, and that's often what's tricky about culture anyway is it's difficult sometimes to see what is the culture because culture is like a fish swimming in the bowl of water they don't know what water is unless you take them out of it. They just take it that the water's here. They can't see it, or it just helps them survive. Culture's a bit like that, and so um, there's something about being able to step back and look at what works around here, what doesn't work around here, from the way we do things.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's real shame, isn't there, around the around the shadow of, you know, we want we want to portray the and I guess this is the link with the the, that I see with the ego again of we want to portray the brilliant creativity but we don't want people to see the you know the the mess that goes on behind that or we want people to see the professionalism in the office but we don't want them to see the the kind of the the gritty bit of collaboration um yes I, I, I work with an organization has a culture of being that everybody's very nice and everybody's polite and of course the shadow side is it's not okay to um to not be polite yeah and therefore um conflict never gets resolved because yes. everybody's trying to be nice and polite about things and so they never yes. really fully collaborate um yes. so that you know that's and how that, I, I can relate to that me.
1: I had a team that I worked once and the they, meetings were absolutely, this is before I worked with them, I went and observed some meetings and they all complained about their, their meetings because they were just repetitive, they repeated the same things every time, but nobody complained about them, they're all incredibly nice and polite To each other but behind each other's backs they weren't incredibly nice and polite and in fact i think that's a good gauge for an organization is how much do people talk to each other face to face and be honest with each other or how much does it go on behind people's backs in the gossip and the grapevine and and to me the 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 power of the grapevine in an organization indicates how well the organization is communicating or not as the case may be so um yeah it has a that, huge that, impact.
0: Yeah and that brings me back to the relational art as well of of leadership and communication because yeah if we if we have the ability to collaborate and to be to be honest and have those conversations and say this is how it is for me what's it like for you and where do where's the meeting of minds and and how do we navigate disagreements if we can do that openly and honestly there is no need to to you know have that bitching behind people's backs is there and yeah that that actually that creates such a damaging impact and on on relationships
1: yes absolutely and um, it completely destroys trust Mm. and and trust I think is the most important trust is what contributes to, or it's a contributory factor to psychological safety, which to me is this foundation of an effective organisation. If you want your organisation to thrive, you need to be focusing on creating psychological, psychological safety and trust and leadership. And how leaders show up has such an enormous impact on that, which is what, again, another drive for my book is if you're a leader who is committed to being self-aware, is understanding and empathetic around the fact you have an ego because we all have one you know and is prepared to be responsible around that then you are in much better position to create an organization where there are high levels of trust and psychological safety and what concerns me about um, not you know certain organizations probably still too many is that there's almost a denial of that Um, we don't want to face up to the fact that uh, these shadow elements go on really
0: and I just want to pick up on your point around self-awareness as well, because self-awareness is one of those things that requires time, doesn't it? It requires time to reflect, to, to be aware of who am I being rather than what am I doing? Who am I being yes. in this moment? What's the impact that I'm having in this moment? How, what's your What's your advice to, to leaders and teams who are just 300 miles an hour, fast-paced change how do they how do they find the space to reflect so that they increase that self-awareness
1: so this is a conversation I quite often have with clients actually so um that's why I'm asking you (laughs) and it is about finding what works for them and I always share a story which I'll share now of probably the most effective director I worked with. I worked um, for a big retailer for some years. And um, I'd say he was the most effective and most popular director. People wanted to go and work on his team. They actively sought to be in his directorate. And he used to, every week without fail, he would block out 8 till 10 in his diary on a Monday morning, which, you know, Busy time of the week, Monday morning, coming back in after the weekend, the previous week. He blocked it out religiously for reflection and focusing on his strategy and where they were. And he'd use that time to reflect on. So what happened last week? Um, that's impacted where we're going to the future what's happening this week that might impact that and it, it he'd be thinking about the future he'd be thinking about what had just happened he'd be thinking about what's coming up he'd be thinking about himself and how he needs to be and what resources are required you know around him and his, and his team he would just use that every week as really quality time and it really paid off in spades because he was massively effective leader around the organization and great with his people Mm. Um, now that's not going to work for everybody I do get that however what I would say is find a way that works for you for some clients I work with they have half an hour every morning where they just have time to think and reflect some people do it 20 minutes at the end of the day it's it's what will work for you others might take half a day a week Or or half a day a month or whatever it is but it's about making sure you put some time in Mm -hmm. and then the, the second thing that's really really important is set it in stone so um you know if you've got a really big important board meeting coming up you don't cancel it or let other things interfere with it this is a really important board meeting This is a really important board meeting with yourself, and it's absolutely fundamental to you being effective in all the other interactions and meetings and and tasks that you're taking on during the rest of your working life. So it, it's just so so important. I can't emphasise the importance of it enough.
0: And there's and there's something really wonderful here around the the uh, the irony of the ego in that we make the board meetings and we make the meetings with other people really important. And this is the, the other side to it, isn't it, of we don't make the time for ourselves of how do I create space for me to reflect so that I can be yeah. more effective because then I can be of better service to the rest of the team yes. or the organisation.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's a really pertinent observation, actually, Jude. Thank you for that. And I think that there's something there about is it because in the board meeting I'm looking good, you know, I have to be there, people need me, all that sort of stuff. It's kind of the beefing up bit of our ego that that keeps us going there or not wanting to let people down as well, which is another side of it. Um, so I can totally get that because it's not just about you, it's about other people but this is about you you know thinking about you want to be in that meeting you want to be the most effective person you can be in that meeting in order to contribute to everyone else and to the system that you're serving so serve yourself first mm. you know give yourself that time so that you're
0: prepared you've thought things through um yeah so and so do important you, do you see any difference in in gender is it is it gender specific are you know men better at the self-reflection or are women better at it or or are you
1: not seeing don't any... t- actually to be honest I don't I work with I do a lot of work with women I do women leadership programs but I also do a lot of work with male leaders as well and I don't not not on the reflection side I think both genders are equally challenged by the demands They have made on them and that they allow to be made on them as well. So we've got to recognise that some of it there is an element of I'm choosing to be this busy. I could put boundaries around it. I'm not, you know, there's that or I'm I'm not aware enough to put the boundaries around. Either way, there is an element of choice in it some in some way. way. So um, I see men and women both struggling um, Mm -hmm. with the amount of work they have put upon them and how can they manage their time and give themselves that quality time to reflect and be strategic, particularly at the, you know, moving through from sort of head of a department to becoming a director to then becoming an executive director. You know, the more you move up, the more you need that time to think and to reflect um, because your capacity is so much bigger in terms of the impact you're having.
0: And I know a lot a lot of people that I, I speak to say that their commuting time was their reflection time and and that that has now that has now gone largely, um, and and may come back uh, in the in the coming months. But you know, are you finding that people are having less reflection time and therefore cramming their diaries for instead of instead of being out on the road at seven, they maybe get up a little bit later, but then the moment they're up, they're working, yeah. and then you know working till quite late in the evening because there isn't that I've got a six o'clock train trains yes
1: i think that's a challenge yeah that has definitely been a challenge in the last year for people um and again it's choice you know you had your commuting time you could choose to use that time to go and do some meditation you know meditation doesn't have to be a great huge activity 10 minutes meditation in the morning can help quiet and calm your whole limbic system and set you up really really well for the day So if, you know, it's a choice as to whether you go straight onto Zoom calls in the day or whether you take some time to really ground yourself and prepare yourself and start thinking and reflecting on what is, what is it you're going to be dealing with today? And, you know, what did you learn yesterday? What did you experience in that conversation you might've had with a customer that you could take on board and apply to, to the board meeting you're going to be attending this day? So there are there are lots of opportunities to not do that. But yes, people get caught up in their almost on the treadmill or the hamster's wheel, I think, of just running and, and eventually running on empty. So it's so, so important to keep topping up your resources and giving yourself reflective time is a really important way of doing that. And so, I mean, a lot of the coaching I've been doing is sounds really basic for some people is just say, make sure you have at least 10 minutes between each Zoom call. So you've got a time to breathe. I've had leaders come and say, I just, I'm exhausted. I've not had time to breathe today because they've gone straight from one Zoom call to another. So it's like, you are in charge of your diary, you're master of your destiny or mistress of your destiny. Um, make sure you put space in where you have breathing time. You can eat, you can drink, you can refresh yourself because people need you, they need what you've got, the talent that you're offering. And, it's, and it's, they need it on full charge.
0: And it's a real dichotomy, isn't it? Because um, for for the um, benefit of the listeners, I was five minutes late to this call, uh, to this podcast call. And I uh, because I had another meeting that finished bang on the time this this was due to start. And so I dropped you an email yesterday to say I'm going to be five minutes late because I knew I would want to stretch my legs, nip to the loo, grab a glass of water and 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 be present when I was when I was here and it's a but it's a real dichotomy isn't it of that um the guilt and the shame of saying I'm going to be late versus mm. actually the benefit of doing that was you were prepared for me being late and yes because I because I was late I didn't arrive rushed from my last meeting yes. because I'd been able to create the space to have that brief break it's so difficult to do though isn't it it's so it's so obvious when you look at it it it's so difficult to do do you do you think that that that's really where the best leadership happens is in the fine tuning of those tiny little decisions and choice points that we're making throughout the day that have an impact on ourselves and each other
1: I think, I think as a leader, you have a responsibility to be conscious of yourself and how you are impacting others. And what you're also touching on here, Jude, is for me, integrity. So as a leader, you also have a responsibility to act with integrity. Now, I refer to integrity as, as, as your relationship to your word. So if I make you a promise to do something, I will do it. That doesn't mean that life doesn't get in the way. You know, like this is a great example that life did get in the way with the beginning of this particular podcast, but you were in communication with me straight away. So I was prepared. I knew what was happening. We could we could make it work. And again, integrity is all about making things work and being workable. Um, without it, things become unworkable. So, you know, you imagine if you hadn't communicated to me that you were going to be late and you came straight onto the the, the call, rushed and not particularly present and not feeling centered or grounded. And I'm sat here waiting for you and you may have been late and I've been twiddling my thumbs, wondering what was going on. It would have not got the conversation off on a good footing. Mm. So um, I think the same applies to leadership As, as a leader. It is about being responsible for keeping on your own journey of self awareness, your own consciousness around how you're being and how you're treating people but also making sure that you stick to your word and you do what you're going to say you're going to do. And again, that's a fundamental to building up trust. And if you're not able to do it, to be in communication with people about it, I think that that's that's some real basics there for leadership.
0: Mary, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic to talk to you. you you've covered so many things there, and you know, I'm really I'm really taking away around the the fine tuning of those choice points is, you know, particularly at the senior leadership level, most people I meet are so brilliant at what they do that actually it's just turning the dial and that real fine tuning that can make all the difference. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you. And you've really got me to think about some things in a much deeper way as well. So thank you, Jude.
0: Talking to Mary, I'm reminded of the importance of continual fine tuning in our leadership and the importance of reflecting on the choices we make moment by moment in how we relate to others so we get the best out of the team as well as bringing our own best leadership to work. What small change might you make today to make you more effective as a leader? And how do you find time to reflect? I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed having the conversation please share it with someone else so we can collectively inspire each other to rethink leadership in the world. If you'd like more information on leading teams through fast-paced change, you can download a report from www.jude.team. That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership.